walked outside and then then it was like, oh, holy smokes. Okay, I'm starting, I think I'm starting to feel it now. Hello, welcome to the Dr. Junkie Show, a podcast about things that get you high. I'm your host, Ben Boyce, and today we're going to wax nostalgic about first trips. I have a terrific interview with my daughter and her husband who took psilocybin for the first time last weekend, and they had a great trip, incredibly therapeutic, as all trips should be. I was pretty jealous. They're 22 and 23 years old, and they've been married for a couple of years, and to be honest, they're one of my favorite couples to hang out with, not just because they're my kids, but because they're incredibly close to each other. That kind of close that gets annoying when you sit in the same room with them for too long and they start poking and pinching at each other. It's adorably disgusting. You'll pick up on it during this interview. They're great. They're also perfect for a trip. If you're considering your first trip and who to share it with, this is the sort of relationship that I recommend to keep the train on the track, so to speak. Although the point of psychedelics and entheogens is actually to knock the train off the tracks temporarily. Anyway, you know what I mean. So, when Vanessa called me, that's my daughter, when she called me a few nights ago and said she planned to take psilocybin mushrooms and she asked me for advice, I thought to myself, that's awesome. All kids should feel comfortable reaching out to their support network for advice prior to using drugs like psychedelics, or any drugs for that matter. And then I remembered my first trip. I was 16 and I melted into this hot mess of confusion and anxiety, all of it entirely unexpected, and all while surrounded by people who didn't even know I was tripping. Because, like all drugs, I had been convinced that they were wrong, that they were sinful. So I didn't tell anybody, and in the end, I really freaked out. A super simplified way to think about psychedelics is to begin by identifying your ego, that part of you that is definable, that part of you that is presented to the world, that part of you that negotiates the tension between your internal desires to kill, maim, steal, and dominate everything, that's the id, and your magnanimous desire to give it all to the poor and become a selfless superhero. That's your superego for the Freud people. Your ego is you. It's your go-to response when you want to cuss somebody out or tell your partner their cooking is awful, but instead you swallow it and perform your poker face. It's the part of you that rocks out to certain music or that hates particular actors. It's that part of you that hates being around your Uncle Henry because he makes you feel uncomfortable, even though you may not have even articulated exactly why you feel that way. It's that part of you that turns away or towards violence, away or towards political debate. It's that part of you that loves some things and hates others. And with psychedelics, it's the part of you that often disappears. Poof! Some of us love this experience because it knocks us down to size and allows us to make connections and consider alternative viewpoints in this selfless state that's produced. You know, because we're suddenly not in the way of our own rational thought, like we normally are. But if you're someone who hides behind a mask, so to speak, especially if you're masking anxiety or depression, well, you can understand how scary it can be to find your mask suddenly gone. Especially if you've never even seen your face in the mirror and you don't know what you're presenting to the world. Some of us didn't even know we had a mask, let alone that we had a face underneath it. Tim Leary and Terrence McKenna and a lot of other psychonaut gurus have repeatedly talked about the way that using psychedelics can, and usually does, update your snapshot on life. And I want to take just a minute to unpack this before I dive into today's interview with my kids. 
When you lose your ego or when the edges become fuzzy, you don't have a guidebook for thinking about whatever pops into your mind. And instead, you treat everything, including old problems and lifelong trauma reactions, as if they're brand new things to think about. And you consider all sorts of weird stuff that normally never crosses your mind, at least not consciously. When one of these rethinking moments leads to a new way to think about the world, say you realize someone you hated might actually deserve your empathy, or that the problem you've been having with anxiety or depression actually stems back to that night in September when you were assaulted, so you need therapy. When you make these connections, they remain long after the chemicals stop working. And sometimes these experiences help us find answers that we've been avoiding for decades and that we might avoid for decades more to come without the tool of medicine. So McKenna and Leary, and now most of us, use the term snapshot to refer to the way that our daily life tends to fall into a series of routine acts. Your route to work, your ideas for breakfast, where to let the dog pee, what to watch on TV tonight, how to feel about Grandma Betsy's racist language. This is our snapshot our quick go-to take on the world. It saves us tons of time because we don't have to think through every issue that arises. Instead, we can shortcut our life with automatic reactions. Turn left up here. Ignore Granny's racist comments. Pancakes, Raisin Bran, or Oatmeal. Primetime CBS. Things that become so routine that we do them without thinking about it. But when we get stuck in a snapshot, when we keep using an old path to work after the road gets potholes, or when we keep using language or metaphors that become culturally unacceptable, well then we can get in trouble. If only it didn't take so much effort to change your thinking, to decolonize your imagination, to borrow a bell hooks term, although I don't know if she ever actually thought about that in reference to psychedelics. When your snapshot updates, it stays updated. When you realize your mother only hurled emotional abuse at you because she, too, was emotionally abused, you find a new way of thinking about those relationships that can prove incredibly healthy. You heal, and you can't help it. A few interesting facts about psychedelics. Not only is it the oldest mind-altering drug on the planet, but according to McKenna, you can check this out in his book, Food for the Gods, psychedelics like psilocybin may be the only reason that we exist as homo sapiens at all. And the more we discover about how psychedelics work in the brain, the more his quirky theory seems to make sense, at least as a metaphor. See, McKenna thought that at some point in the distant evolutionary past, our ape-like ancestors consumed psychedelic chemicals, and that some of us enjoyed them and experienced, for perhaps the first time ever, some concept of our own existence in the world, what we call human consciousness. We don't know a lot about how psychedelics like LSD and psilocybin work in the brain, but we do know that they literally create new neural networks and connections. That's why they sometimes change the person who we are after we use them. But these aren't random changes that are forced upon us, and they're seldom detrimental in any way. They're a different way of thinking about common things. Things that we think about every day, but find ourselves stuck in ruts of thought. We'll talk more about this in the interview, but in short, when we're on psychedelics, we skip common thought processes and find our way through debates and challenges in unexpected and novel ways. Ways that were usually right in front of us the whole time, but that we just never thought of. Classic psychedelics act primarily on serotonin 2A receptor sites, which are concentrated in the outer layer of the cerebellum, a part of the brain responsible for speech, language, and voluntary actions, higher level functions. 
Again, I'm not a neuroscientist, so that's about as far as I'll go with the neurochemistry until I have an expert on the other side of the mic. But it's worth mentioning that, like all drugs discussed in this podcast, you should talk to your medical doctor about how they might affect you. Serotonin reuptake inhibitors can interfere with the action of psychedelics, or vice versa. And there's something called serotonin syndrome, which results from too much serotonin in your bloodstream. Talk to your doctor. And if you don't feel comfortable, find a new doctor. One of the other reasons people in Western cultures often struggle with psychedelics and entheogens is because they force us to turn inward, not outward, like many other drugs. Alcohol, cocaine, and even benzodiazepines can work to lower inhibition and make us more sociable. These social drugs tend to help us party or socialize, turn outward to the distractions around us. We don't do a ton of cultural turning inward in the United States at all. And unless you're part of a group that practices mindfulness of some sort, you may not even know what I'm talking about. But you will know what I'm talking about once the psychedelics kick in, so you should expect it. Also, set and setting are both very important. The set, in short, is you. It's all the baggage and emotional bullshit that you're carrying around when the trip begins, including all of the things that are going on in your life right now. The setting is where you are, for sure, but it's also what's going on, what song list you're going to use, the temperature, the party going on next door, all of it. We'll talk about this more in the interview as well, but a good rule for psychedelic experience is prepare, prepare, prepare. Seriously, get ahead of it because once it begins, you're in there. Finally, in this episode we'll be discussing psilocybin mushrooms, my personal favorite psychedelic because they tend to be very mild and produce less anxiety than LSD or mescaline or some other psychedelic. Plus they're short acting, 3-5 to hours compared to LSD's 12 hour trip. All right, enough of the housekeeping. On to the interview. I'm like looking forward to this. I want to start with a story that I don't know if I've told you about. But this, I had this guy that was in my life as a kid named Rick, and he was actually somebody's dad who I was friends with, and he's what everybody would have called a terrible dad. At like 18 and 19, he would come hang out with us, and we would be not just smoking weed, but like tripping acid and doing cocaine and just getting everything we could come across. We were taking it. We were out running the streets, driving drunk. And he would hang out with us, but he would always be like, eh, y'all shouldn't do that when it was bad ideas. And other times he'd just be there like, oh, y'all are smoking weed, cool. Would buy us booze here and again. And everybody from the outside would have been like, I know y'all are 18, 19, but that's a bad parent. And at one point we were tripping acid and I had had a talk with him. I was only 18 at the time. And he had said, psychedelics are something that you don't so much enjoy is that you kind of just need to do every once in a while because they reframe your snapshot right and at the time i was like hey he's kind of got a good point it's funny to look back and realize not only did he really have a really good point that hopefully that's something we'll talk about in a minute if you guys feel like you've changed some views on things but also that good parenting this is something we don't talk about much involves having the tough conversations with your kids that actually aren't all that tough if you've built the framework. So I was thrilled when I got this text that was like, hey, we're getting ready to use shrooms. What should we think about? Because that's the sort of thing that if we're talking harm reduction, our kids should be on the level with us and should be like, hey, this is what's going on and not be worried that we're going to judge them. So, And I'm glad that you feel you could comfortably call me. That's a long way to introduce you, but I do want to introduce Riley and Vanessa Brown. Last night you had your first, two nights ago now, so you've had a little bit of time to process it. You've had your first experience with a psychedelic at all, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this psychedelic was mushrooms, which is psilocybin. 
Do you guys want to share what your experience was when you took them? What happened over the next X amount of time? Yeah, so we took them around 5 o'clock on Friday and started feeling them around 6.45-ish. yeah. We kind of were just hanging out at first after we took them. Played just watching TV, a little bit. Yeah, and just kind of hung out. Didn't really feel a whole lot. Kind of felt more high, like I had smoked like a blunt. And I was like, okay, so let's go outside. Let's do something. Like, let's and the anticipation our- was killing us. You know, <laughs> yes. looking at the photos, we're like, are they going to start melting? Like, what's, what's, what's supposed to happen right now? And then I started to get a little hot. I'm like, oh, I started to get hot. I was like, okay, I need to, like, I need to do something. I need to get yeah. active. And then she's like, okay, let's, well, let's go outside. And walked outside. And then, then it was like, oh, holy smokes. <laughs> okay, I'm starting, I think I'm starting to feel it now. But then you try to like psych yourself out. It's like, ah, oh, it's is this like a placebo effect? Am I like tr- tricking myself into thinking like this is going on? And then uh, came back inside for a little bit. Tried to listen to some music. What kind of music? Uh, stuff without lyrics. People, uh, everyone yeah. said stuff without lyrics just. It's one of the things I talk about in every episode is harm reduction. And with psychedelics, harm reduction has a lot to do with prepping before you start and making sure that you don't put yourself in a situation. Set and setting, as they say. And I think that's interesting. You had done your homework, good for you. And you had even thought, why not just find some stuff that's comfortable and familiar Mm. but doesn't have lyrics? Because everyone said find a comfortable place in a good spot. Yeah. um, So it's worth us talking about when you say comfortable. I also think it's a big part of who you're with what sort of trust is there so you two have been married for how two long years. now two years. two years did you notice that i'm really glad that i'm with my partner at any point during the experience <laughs> yes for a lot of it and it was definitely it gave us a perspective from the other person's point of view oh, of boy. why we do what we do riley's definitely a talker he's very much out there <laughs> and being able to switch like kind of spots with that and be a talker and just talk about anything for five ten minutes straight on one sign was unbelievable like i don't know why i did it it was just like it just felt right at the time i guess yeah and then i almost (laughs) felt like i was like her and i was just like when she was walking she just kept like bumping me a little bit and i was like well do you want to hold my hand or not and i was like like that's Kind of like what she tells me, because I'm, I'm very much about like, hey, I'm here. that's Riley's love language is physical touch. He always touched me. But- so, I don't know, just that night kind of like opened me up to like her perspective on what she sees and like how she wants to be loved. Instead of just always loving her how I want to love or how I think she wants to be loved. It's like, okay, sometimes she just wants her space. She just wants a, a little bit like of me time, a little time yeah. to collect herself. It was kind of eye-opening to see that perspective. Yeah, and then she was just talking and talking. I was like, oh my god, like, she's still talking? She's still, like, that's that's me. That's You're still talking about the, the sign that we passed. And it's like, the sign was cool, but like... <laughs> so <laughs> there's was, a lot there. <laughs> and, and the way you described it before we started talking on with recording is that you felt like to some degree you switched places. Yeah. And I thought that was really an incredible way to put it. I didn't say this earlier. I was going to save it till we were recording. But it sort of strikes me as a statement on where your relationship is at. Partnerships usually develop when both people can play a role at the right time and you're sort of the yin to each other's yang. And sometimes I'm pissed off and my partner's like, calm down. And other times she's pissed off and I'm like, calm down. In life, you're sort of describing how you both have your role and how they work well together. When one of you is touchy-feely, the other one can play the role of like, thanks. And how... 
that switch, but you just made this really interesting connection, which was that it was sort of an empathetic switch. You were actually realizing in real time, Riley, that, oh, this is what she sort of feels like, and then playing it out almost in your body yeah. so that there was this empathetic reaction. One of the things I end up talking about a lot is therapy. Psychedelics especially, and MDMA, which is not a psychedelic but close, are therapeutic drugs among other things. And we usually think that means you have to go to your therapist and sit through four or five therapy sessions, and then they give you a dose while you're in therapy. And we separate that from what we're doing in our homes, not realizing that if you're actually with people you trust and then have one of these experiences, what happens in that next four or five hours can be really therapeutic. So it's really interesting. You're saying a couples therapist would have taken months probably to get at what you just got at in one night just walking around by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about the walk. The walk. So yeah, then we came home and because we tried to go with Oreo and describe Oreo, Oreo for Pitbull, us. Pitbull. He is he is the cutest boy. He's all black and he has a white patch in the middle, so that's why we call him Oreo. And I'm gonna put a picture of him on the blog for this episode. He's just he's, a, a chill guy, but he loves going on his walks and we tried to take him on a walk that night and. It was just not fun. It yeah. was just like... <laughs> he was definitely hindering the experience. Oh, 100%. It was just like having to stop and like pick up his poop. And he's always smelling stuff, like which is awesome. Like, hey, he's a dog. But for that time, for that mind space, it just wasn't, wasn't conducive. So then we uh, dropped him off and then we started walking again. And goodness, we walked for seven miles. So we just live east of... Uh, CSU's campus was just up here in Fort Collins, and we walked all the way to campus. And the whole way we were walking, we were talking about, we were talking about stuff that we haven't even like thought about really ever, and like stuff from like our childhood life and like each other's perspectives on when we were essentially getting out of like our parenting home and basically having to understand how do we manage life, how do we, how do we go about this. Be in a relationship at the same time, and let's talk about how fast our relationship just developed. Everything was very quick. Like, when we moved in, it was quick, and then we got married way before a lot of our friends, and, you know, now we're in a home, and it's like, everything has just happened quickly. Always, like, the the juggling plates, and, like, oh, here's another plate, and it's like, okay, don't don't drop that plate. So the metaphors were actually popping into your head in real time. You were making (laughs) plates and saying it, and... And on top of that, doing not just a little therapy, it sounds like you just turned the whole evening into a therapy session. Oh, the whole <laughs> really, really. Let's go back to our youth. Let's, which we're laughing, but in, in actuality, that's what over and over you'll talk to people that use these drugs that way. And if they get the set and the setting right, meaning setting where you're at when it's going on and what the heck's going on, and set yourself and what's going on, period, at that moment. When those two things are in sync, you find your brain allowing yourself to, to get over a lot of the hurdles that normally keep you from thinking about certain things, talking yeah. about certain things. For yeah. God's sake, don't say that to your partner. And you have all these hang-ups that in the end, you usually don't need to have. But as humans, we have them. So you're telling a really beautiful story. I love that. So when I started the conversation, I started talking about my youth. And I was like, you know, like, going to school after graduating, it was tough because I was like supposed to go play football and whatnot. Having to, like, go back to, to high school and, like, see everybody, and it was like, oh, like, hey, aren't you, like, playing football, you know, like... Identity, in other words. And exactly, yeah, and I was like... Yeah, we about losing our so, identities a lot. And then especially my senior year was just kind of... Not that I was, like, a Britney Spears or anybody like that, but, like, at that high school, like, 
I was the dude. I was the man. You know, I, I knew everybody. And it was weird. Like, every day when people tell you, oh, you how, how great you are, how great you are. Mm-hmm. And then that's cut off when it's like, oh, like, I was I was supposed to be the the dude. And then it just, like, didn't work out like that. And then, like, yeah, that came up out of, like, nowhere. And I was like, oh, that was, yeah. that was weird. And then... It's who you are, in other words. Like, you don't realize how much that actually reinforces your identity day to day whole, yeah, until it goes away. Goes exactly. Yeah, and then not only do you not realize it then, but it takes sometimes a year or five later when you take some shrooms or a psychedelic and go, holy shit, five years ago I had a trauma when I exited this place where my identity yeah. was being reinforced and all of that construction went away and I found myself in the real world looking around going who the hell is Riley so yeah and it didn't even get you didn't even have the opportunity to look at it let alone try to figure out what the hell was going on until years later when you just the stars aligned you're on the right psychedelic on the right night with the right person but at the time I didn't realize but I was like I was pretty depressed so like not where I was like oh like like going off the deep end but I was like but at the time I was like oh I, I can't be depressed like I'm Riley Brown. Like, I can't. I can't be depressed, you know. <laughs> and that that affected our relationship because she was like, "Well, do you even like want to hang out? Like, do you even like me? What what is happening?" We got to talk through all that because I, I mean, obviously at the time I didn't understand like yeah. at that. I was in my own headspace trying to figure out who the heck I am. And then we're starting this relationship and. Huh. She told you it from her perspective, I guess. By the way, uh, I can relate to this. I struggled with all sorts of anxiety and depression through high school and well beyond, but never was given the language to know this is depression and never given therapy or any way to get through it. On top of that, the stigma is what keeps both you and I, because I was like, I'm Ben fucking Boyce. I'm not depressed. I'm just living my life and doing what I want. Yeah. I didn't realize, well, that's because if I'm depressed, <laughs> I have to deal with all the other things that go with depression. When you're on psychedelics, one of the things that happens is you feel this connection to everything around you and you realize, I am you, I am Mike, I am Jerry, I am Tim. They're no different than me. They're walking around in the same world and those stigmas that are attached to those labels sometimes go out the window and you realize, now wait a sec, me hiding it is probably what all these other people are doing too because they think I'll judge them the same way I think they'll judge me and we're all like defeating ourselves and beating ourselves up and keeping our depression in the closet. It's another really interesting therapeutic thing that just fucking happens when you take these things (laughs) in the right setting and you don't even realize it until you unpack and unpack. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that? You look like you're you're itching to... Yeah, it was just cool seeing it from his perspective because obviously, like, I was still in high school, so I was still very immature and young and just thinking, like, this is who I want to be with. Like, why is he always just so standoffish about it i was like i i'm trying to do everything i can to be with this person but it doesn't seem like he wants to be with me and then figuring that out that he like he was depressed i was like well that makes more sense i'm sorry that i like started pushing you to be like okay like where is this going like when you weren't ready and noticing that and being able to apologize for that but also being fortunate that we were able to even say that because i didn't ever know he was depressed and To know that that could still carry on, to know that I could look for the signs later on if something happens that, yeah. and all that. So it's nice this to is see that. real shit, too, because this is something that is, privilege is something that is like a loaded term in our culture. But when you really confront it in ways that you have to say, oh, I'm so privileged, too, uh, sometimes you realize, oh, that's all these people are talking about when they say privilege. 
how privileged we are to live in a state right now that has said what y'all did the other night is not illegal in any way. And that's only been the case since last May of 2019, mm-hmm. where in Colorado it is legal to use psilocybin. It's still not legal to, to sell it. There's all these little things that we still have to work out with that system. But the fact that it's legal means not only did you two experience something you might not have otherwise, more importantly, that experience can now be shared with people without either of you worrying about employers saying, oh, you're admitting to breaking the law. I didn't admit to breaking any laws. I live in a state where therapeutically, the therapist and the doctors finally said, enough is enough. You got to legalize this stuff. Look what it does for people. Look at relationships that 20 years down the road have hangups that if they just go through something like this early on, some of that stuff changes. So it's yeah, it's funny that you said because we were talking about that and... Uh how people kind of have like sometimes like the midlife crisis yeah. like trying to find their identity 30, 40, 50 years old <clears throat> and the fact that we were able to to do the the mushrooms and to to feel that kind of get all of our our traumas and our trials and tribulations and just talk about everything I mean, it, it's just crazy to see like where we're at now it's not like you know we're living in a mansion or anything but just like the little baby steps over the yeah. past few years yeah. to to guess where we're at but yeah I told her, you know, it was just super exposing to like have her move in so quickly yeah. like, so early in the relationship in other words on top of the therapeutic experience it also became this sort of moment that together you sort of tabulated let's look at where we're at and holy crap this is what we've accomplished this yeah. is where and that sort of makes sense too is in these moments of connectedness which is probably the best way to put it that you sometimes if you do it just right you take the opportunity to do some of that work okay so since Synthesia, I didn't mention this to you before. Synthesia, either you know what that is? No. Synthesia is when your senses get mixed around and you can like smell the color yellow or <laughs> see the sound that you're hearing if you're listening to music. And it's very common on some psychedelics. Do you remember anything like that happening? Did you have any synthesia? I have a terrible time with the name. I saw some, some trees shimmering. I don't know if that has to do with with synthesia but um oh it was pretty cool i was like I mean, maybe it was just like the way the the sun was hitting it i don't yeah. know it was it was, yeah. it was really well sh- awesome. so this is like it's not in any of the textbooks or the studies because it's really hard to quantify but as far as the difference between psychedelics one of the things i'd say i've noticed between lsd and psilocybin and mushrooms is that psilocybin does exactly what you just mentioned it's prone to make the edges shimmer use the word shimmer it's probably the closest thing to a real visual i've ever had is being in a movie theater and watching the guy before the movie started that comes on and says shh silence your cell phones start to move back and forth like to the point where i was like this is awesome Uh, but it was never an all-out visual because typically psilocybin it can and i mean anybody especially if you're somebody that's predisposed to psychological conditions or disorders there's a lot of people that should just think twice about even taking psychedelics or make sure they seek the right advice from their medical professionals ahead of time but that's something that happens a lot so i think you're I think that is sort of synthesis, you know. Okay. I don't know what the other the other sense would be, but I mean, she said she was hearing stuff, so maybe that I don't know if that falls under. That falls under. What'd you say? When I was like hearing stuff. Oh yeah, so tell me about that. Yeah, when we were just walking, I kept like hearing people talking, and I was just hearing voices and hearing a lot of like laughter. But it felt like like people were talking and people were very happy. But it felt like groups of people, and I kept turning around, and nobody was there. But it felt like very close to us. And like, granted, we were walking through a neighborhood, like people had their windows open, so I was like, okay, well maybe it's like the houses. But 
it just felt like too because we're walking in the middle of the street and they just felt too close for it to yeah. be like someone talking in a house for for me to hear it like that clearly <laughs> your dog really doesn't like this part oreo you're killing us now you're eating so yes you're walking and hearing yeah hearing laughter and voices and it, should, it was just so close that it couldn't couldn't have been from a house and it just felt like I was surrounded by lots of people. But every single time I turned around, no one was there. And like, like there were some people that would be walking, but their voices like weren't that clear if they were on the yeah. other side of the road. Like we can kind of hear them. We'd wave and be like, oh, hi. Yeah. But there was just like, it was like it people was were there. walking right next to us. And like, it so was what was... Like turn around and he would be like, what are you looking at? I'm like, yeah. someone was like right there. Like I swear, someone was just laughing. <laughs> And you said this earlier, and I'm, I'm going to borrow the language of the Christians here, but it blessed my heart, so to speak, because what I know about psychedelics is one of the reasons people that are in trauma or haven't got treatment for their trauma, but have still managed to get through the day, have often a really hard time with them is that they drop your guard. They basically destroy your ego, that part of you that like negotiates the bad person and the good person and is Vanessa or Riley or Ben walking through the world. It's gone. And you're like, who am I and what do I like? And in those moments, whatever is in the background tends to suddenly show up. If you've been blocking it out or you figured out a trick to like not think about the bad thing that happened to you 20 years ago, that shit is gone when you were tripping <laughs> balls. And all of a sudden, if you are not ready, you're gonna find yourself in a bad way. And when you said the part that kept being amplified and you were hearing was happiness and laughter, I was like, oh, as a parent, I'm kind of responsible for that. I feel good <laughs> again i know i'm not fully responsible but that's the sort of thing that when you're talking about using psychedelics that's the perfect memory to have mm -hmm. set and setting people make sure yeah. you're with people you trust have a trip sitter in this case i guess you're each other's trip sitter that's fine it worked out great but no we definitely we had some friends yeah some on just exactly just yeah. in case oh and we worked as well yeah to be fair to you you did say hey we're actually going to keep you on speed dials too so we yeah. did make ourselves available uh, did either of you have any stomach discomfort? Uh, a little bit, actually. I'm not going to yeah. lie. A little yeah. bit. I You're did. eating rotten fungus, by the way. So this is yeah. psilocybin. Like, yeah, just felt like you need to puke. Oh, you, you must have ate enough then. I always encourage people to try to eat them with something. I had a friend that would always throw them on pizza after it was cooked and just woof it down. I was like, that is so gross. But whatever you, you got to do. We got some like pad thai, just some light, something light and put it down with that. Uh, at some point they'll have psilocybin pills. But this is funny. I brought you all some kratom today. I'm going to leave it here for you to try. But all kratom is is these tea leaves or these leaves from a tree that... It grows here, but not natively, but some people have brought it back. And they dry them and crush them, and you brew it into a tea. But it's like 1.5% metrogeny, and the rest of it is just tea leaf, fiber, and whatever crap is in a tea leaf that you're eating. Probably isn't bad for you. But if somebody would extract the metragynin, you could have a pill. And it's the same thing with psilocybin. You're eating a nasty carrier that is a organic being that produces among other things psilocybin but you're also eating all that other shit yeah. whatever was in his dirt that the guy grew exactly. it in and that's so it comes with the territory don't be surprised if you get some stomach discomfort yeah oh there's some actually some funny stories so when so i i ate about five to start with and then waited about an hour and a half you yep. said wait about an hour and a half and then um i was like okay like i, I think i could do a little bit more because then we we ate some food so like okay ate a little bit more and then when I was really starting to hit my peak, it was like, I remember we were going on a walk and I was like, I feel like I'm like 20 feet tall. And like the road, <laughs> we were walking on the road and the road here is pretty wide and it felt like a sidewalk. And it was just like, 
I just felt so like claustrophobic for a little bit. I was just like, it's like, babe, you're really close. Like you got the whole and then this little Lightning McQueen over here, <laughs> she's just, just so we have like these little monitors uh, on our street where they can detect how fast you're going just to tell drivers, hey, keep this speed. <laughs> so um, we we were walking and I was like, babe, like I wanna see you run. Like I have seen you like I've seen you like jog and run by like I was like, I wanna see you like sprint, like like you're a draft pick, and this this sprint will either determine your first round or fourth round. Let me see like that sprint, and she's like, okay, okay. So I walk up the street a little bit, and I'm like, go, and she's moving, moving, and she's running. And then um, afterwards, she was uh, she wanted to run to a car, and she was like, okay, time me, like kind of like how like when you're like no, your I little didn't sibling. Even say time me, I said count. And I took off. And she ran. It was like, you know, like your little sibling says, like, okay, let me, ooh, ooh, seven seconds. Whoa. <laughs> so she ran. I was like, well, babe, like, there's no way to determine, like, what what do you want? Like, I don't <laughs> Seven. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it almost brought, like, the little kid out of you for a second. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, okay, count. And then she just, and then she bolted. <laughs> yep. I was like, oh, my God. Like, in my head, like, I was so fast. Like, I felt like I was gliding. Like, I felt like I was, like, in the USA, like, national. Like, I'm running the the sprint. Like, I'm going. I just, I felt like I was one of them. Oh <laughs> well, and there's two things there. One of them is the side effect that's worth mentioning, which is, like, equivalent to what you call this feeling of time dilation, or time either stretches out, and you'll be like, that was, like, five hours, and somebody will be like, we haven't even gone anywhere yet. It's been two seconds. Or the flip, which is it, it compresses. The other is this feeling of being a kid, and one of the ways I'm going to grossly simplify neurology, which is sort of my thing on this podcast, because if we can't understand it unless we're neurologists, none of us will understand what's going on up there. When you talk about feeling like a kid again, or feeling like this feeling of nobility or of like newness, even when you look at things like, ooh, a tree leaf, ooh, the wall, <laughs> that's because we have basically what you could think of as ruts in our, our neurology. We have neurons or neural pathways that we fire over and over and over again because we figured out they work real well. And they go all the way to like, you could think of the things you eat. And if I'm like, what do you want? You have a quick list. Subs, burgers, pizza, and right? There's a quick list and on that list is cultural norms, but you'd really have to go out of your way to say, oh, none of those are available. How about spaghetti? And then we could keep going further and further. Each of those is firing a new neural pathway that doesn't get fired as often as cheeseburgers, pizza, and for me, macaroni and cheese, right? Now, when you use psych psychedelics, I sent Vanessa this picture earlier of what they've done she in MRI. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. And what's wild is you can think of being a kid, and as a kid, you haven't established the ruts yet because you don't fucking know what's going to leave you getting laughed at at school and what's going to have everybody love you. You don't know what's going to have your parents be like, kids <laughs> early in life will try different strategies for negotiating the world. You'll realize, yeah. like, for instance, you might tell your parents a dirty joke and not realize that that's not something... By the time you get to a certain age, you figure out your norm. Some of us are more outrageous than others, and we fire neural pathways that leave our friends like, whoa, dude. Some of us don't act like that. We don't cuss in public. What happens when you use psychedelics is all that opens up, and you'll find neural pathways that you haven't used in a long time, yeah. or strangely, that didn't even exist before, sort of forming in those moments. And then when you find a good one that you're like, ooh, that was... That, that made me feel good about life. Or I hadn't thought about my mom treating me this way 30 years ago because of X, Y, or Z. <laughs> now I have empathy. Vanessa's not 30 oh yet, gosh. so that's clearly not about her. But you, you actually think in ways, not yeah. just of things, but in ways that change who you are as a human. And when you come out, it's really hard 
to go back to the old way if it wasn't as effective as what you had now. When you say, I felt like a kid again, that's probably what was going on, is you had these neural pathways that were sledding down a hill and all the things you don't do very often that you got to play with and light back up. So that's a really cool description. What'd you say when I asked you if you were going to do them again? Oh, 100%. Yeah. So it was like, oh man, these things are great. I'll probably use them all the time. And Not, then, couldn't do it every day, yeah. but I would do them often. And one of your follow-up questions was, wait, are they addictive? Which, by the way, harm reduction, great question to be asking. One of the interesting things about almost all psychedelics is they're not addictive for the very simple reason that if you did try to use them every day, they wouldn't work right within a certain amount of time. So it's just worth noting that uh, if you're gonna take any sort of psychedelic, you have to pace yourself. You can't just plan on using it all the time. This yeah. is like the double-edged sword. I think it, back to Timothy Leary, who I refer to a lot on this podcast, yeah. who suggested some ridiculous amount of time, like every two weeks to three weeks, you should trip acid. And I was like, how about every two years to three years? And right, <laughs> if you're talking about shrooms, I could see every couple months, but I like this analogy of a snapshot of your life being a snapshot of what you just take for granted, the neural ruts, the neural pathways yeah. that you're like, but that when you use psychedelics, you get this brief amount of time to re-examine that snapshot and move some shit around. If you decide like, why have we always put the coffee table right by the front door in my brain? It's always in the way. You can move that fucker while you're tripping, yeah. and when you come back, sometimes you can keep it in the new spot. Yeah, it was it was incredible. It was awesome. Yeah. And then we went to campus, and campus was open. It was uh, the science lab, actually. I started walking in there, and that was... Inside? Yeah. You yeah. went inside? We have the yeah, door wait open. a sec. What time was it? <laughs> it was like 10 o'clock. At, at night? 10, yeah. 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. On Saturday? Friday. Friday night. We're, I was looking at the the pendulum through the window, and then she just opened the door. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I like well. went tested. I was like, it's unlocked. Well, so why not? <laughs> Going on campus. Uh, every time I talk about psychedelics, I had said I'm going to include a segment that's called "Only When You're Tripping," and that might be close to fitting. I don't know if you've really unpacked that since it happened and realized. Wait a sec. It was 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday night, so double closed on a university, which is private property, during a COVID outbreak when hardly anyone's on campus anyway, and two middle or two young black folks went and just walked into a building and wandered around tripping balls. That's that's a pretty good story, actually. Well, we also need to go to the bathroom. Yeah, so we're and like, I was so thirsty. I was just like, oh my god, I need something to drink. And neither one of us had masks or a wallet. We didn't have like, a wallet or money, our phone. So it was like, like, I found a couple dollars. I was like, what is this? Oh, oh, no, you... We did find a few dollars on the street when we were walking. See, only when you're tripping, right? <laughs> only when you're tripping. So we I'm found gonna... one, and then he like walked like ten more feet, and then there was like another right. one. He was like, "Oh, okay." Ooh, piece of candy. Did you think it might not be real? The dollars? I, I, yeah, I didn't think it was gonna be real. Then I opened it up. I was like, "Oh, this is a dollar. This is that's honestly. hilarious." <laughs> wow. We said that we're never gonna spend them. They're gonna be like. Your trip dollars. Somewhere. My yeah. trip dollars, exactly. That's pretty cool, actually. Exactly. I like that. I'm going to ask you about your trip dollars in like 10 years, see if you still got it. <laughs> I mean, I can't remember every conversation, but there was hours and hours. Of just yeah. Deep shit, talk. right? Yeah. yeah. We talked about like kids. The future of yeah. our business, of where we're going. Yeah, there's this deep bonding that happens on a lot of drugs, and what... 
Uh, I hate to talk shit about cocaine, but I'm just not a fan of a few drugs, and cocaine is one of them. The difference, I think, between a drug like cocaine and some of these psychedelics is you get some of that same, the wall drops, and you feel comfortable talking about stuff, but that you still, uh, with cocaine, you're also pumped through the roof, and you just want to go, plus you're dumping straight dopamine. Psychedelics tend to be serotonin drugs, which sounds weird. We actually don't know as much about how they work compared to a lot of other drugs, but they're not pure reward drugs. So whereas when you take like a Vicodin or you do some heroin you get a, or even cocaine, you get a massive shot of dopamine, the yay, everything feels good. That's not what's going on here. There, there's some of that, but this is more of a drug that sort of connects the interconnectedness. Serotonin does a lot with like language, with decision making, with uh, incorporating memories from the past into what's going on now. So when you think about how it's actually working, you're like, oh, that makes a little bit of sense, yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was cool. It was very it was a very eye opening experience. So the last thing I'd say is you have to promise to come back after we do it in Vegas on Fremont Street sometime in the next year. And Mike will be here for that episode. My son turned twenty one during the COVID pandemic, right before I turned forty during the COVID pandemic. And we had some plans that didn't happen yet and right now they're just brewing and festering and they're getting massively bigger to the point that It'll be a good podcast. So, Trippin' Shrooms under Fremont Street during the light show. Let's do it. Let's do it. Thank you both for uh, being on. I really appreciate it. I I think this is going to be a good episode. Now, I get it. They're grown, so it was probably easier for them to reach out to me. But like I said at the beginning of the episode, these are relationships that you have to work on early in life to get them stable enough so that they stick around throughout. You have to let your kids know that when they're ready to do drugs or when they're curious, they can come talk to you without worry of any sort of shame or stigma or worried about being punished or any of that stuff. I remember at 15, Vanessa coming to me when she was living with us still and saying, I want to try ecstasy, MDMA. And after much thought and a lot of conflict that made us think that maybe we should back out of this whole drug positive movement and just rely on the old stereotypes of just say no, because it would have been so comfortable as parents. We took the responsible route, and we chose to have her look at what the drug did to do basically a report, learn what she was putting in her body, and learn how she could safely do it without being concerned that some sort of adulterating substance was going to be in it. In other words, learn how she could test her drugs. And it turns out that by the time she did all of this, she realized that it wasn't something she wanted to take at that point in her life, and she abstained. I can't say that conversation was easy, but we knew it was the right thing to do. The only thing we were going to accomplish by telling her to just say no was to make ourselves sleep a little bit better, cozy in the lie that we were gratifying ourselves with that she really wasn't going to use because we had told her to just say no. The responsible decision is to talk openly about these drugs and if your kids decide to use them, to support them through that. I honestly can tell you it was going to be difficult to decide what to do next if she came back and said she wanted to try it. Because the responsible thing may well have been for us to acquire it for. I mean, she's 15 years old. Where's she going to get it? How's she going to get the test kit? These are sticky conversations. And so long as the war on drugs persists, they'll remain sticky conversations. But we have to center the health and well-being of our children. Because they're a lot of the people that are dying in droves every year because of polluted products or because of desperation. We can do better. Love yourselves and the addicted people in your life. I'm your host, Ben Boyce.